This is the Annex Wealth Management SWAT Podcast. It is episode 26. Today is Monday, November 21st, discussing strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats with insight and perspective from members of the Annex Wealth Management Investment Committee. Joining us today, Blaine Disrude, a trader and research analyst. Welcome. Hi, Danny. Matt Morsey is investment team manager. Good morning to you. Morning, Danny. Kind of curious, which of the four are you the most intrigued about this week? Yeah, that's a good question. I think opportunity overall, because I'm an optimist going forward. So seeing the opportunities that we have in front of us is a great way to kind of look at that. And it kind of fits with my normal vibe. Okay. How about you, Blaine? You know what? The, the strength is an interesting one. I think we've seen, and we'll get into this, some resilience in the consumer and whether or not that can hold up. Really kind of curious to see how that plays out through the rest of this year going into the holiday season. Excellent. We'll start with our strength. Yeah, to me, the biggest strength is that resilience that Blaine talks about, and specifically with the issues that's happening in the cryptocurrency market with FTX, the second largest broker that's out there, basically going from a 30-some billion dollar valuation to zero within days. You would think that that would have a huge impact to what the market is doing, and specifically the NASDAQ, which is very tech-heavy and has traded in line with crypto for a lot of the year. But actually, that was positive during that time period of that all shaking out. And with all the big names that got caught up in that scandal and what's going on there and how that's going to play out, it's going to be interesting to see how that that goes going forward. But so far, it has not had an impact on the markets at all, which I would have thought that we would have seen some down days because of that. Yeah. And I mean, the contagion of, you know, a major company going bankrupt and then how many other players were in that, not just from other companies being involved, but the investor side of it, people chasing yield over the past few years are trying to find an alternative investment and crypto being that alternative for a lot of private equity firms or just, you know, private investors as well. It is good to see that that hasn't spread over the next year. I think more things will come to light as to how intertwined some of that was. And hopefully that isn't showing up as defaults going forward in other places. But for the time being, it it hasn't shook the market out yet. It's actually held up really well. No, not at all. And I think the the one that was the most telling thing for me on that is that the guy who's been in charge since then, the, the new CEO of the company who's supposed to work through all of this, this is what he does for a living. He goes in and tries to restructure companies that are going through this, tries to get at them out of those issues, fix what's going on, and at least allow regulators to come in and see what's happening. He also was there with Enron and when that was going through, and he said, this is far worse. This is the worst thing that he's ever seen, which... That's the one that I always remember in undergrad and graduate school, always being the one that we went through every single semester was Enron, what happened, all this stuff, and to hear something could be worse than that is is mind-blowing. It's good in the sense that coming out of this, there will be much more oversight on what's going on in that space because it clearly was just ignored or just wasn't understood. I think that's a big part of it is like you hear cryptocurrencies and so forth, and there's... 9,000 of them out there as of last year. Like You have a hard time knowing exactly what, what this cryptocurrency represents, and having a company like this go bankrupt will really bring to light what is actually all playing out yeah. in that space. Another strength that I wanted to talk about was consumer spending. Uh, we got retail sales and consumer spending last week, and the data was pretty strong. Uh, it beat estimates. Estimates were 1% for last month, and they came in at 1.3, so the, the consumer is still spending. We have to keep in mind that that number is not inflation adjusted, so that is just nominal. And so on on that side of things, this is good to see that the consumer is still getting out, still spending money. The concern is what is that money getting spent on? And what's starting to show up, and we saw it in a couple 
retail earnings reports last week, the money's getting spent on staples, not discretionary goods. On uh, discretionary is starting to take a hit, and that needs to be monitored going forward. But the fact that the consumer is still spending is a good thing. Well, our household certainly hasn't. My <laughs> wife is on full, full path forward with any spending that we thought about doing. So we're trying to do whatever we can. Um, but it is interesting to see where money is being spent and where it's not. And to see different retailers coming out with their earnings reports or even or different announcements to see who is handling inventory levels well, who is not. And some of that even then kind of goes into CEO changes through a lot of that, too, is they're using that opportunity to go ahead and try to fix the ship with potentially moving on from one CEO to another, which we've seen some high profile ones in the last week. Yeah, I think there'll be some restructuring or you'll hear the word restructuring coming over the next year, coming out of this um, as people go back through 2022 and analyze and see, okay, where do we make missteps? Should there have been a change here? Can we improve and how do we improve on that? Mm -hmm. The spending was strong. However, and I'll, we'll go into weaknesses here. The type of spending, where that money's coming from, is showing signs of weakness. The household savings rate is getting near uh, low levels that we have not seen for a number of years. And what I mean by household savings rate is individual has their income, they have their fixed expenses, and then whatever is left over is that disposable income. And how much of that disposable income are they actually saving? It used to be quite high coming out of COVID uh, and the the pandemic, given the stimulus that was sent out, it has dropped to a very low level that typically indicates that the consumer is one stretched and two is on an unsustainable path. And we've also seen that with uh, credit and credit expansion over the past few weeks. You know, you, you see a lot of stories about people living paycheck to paycheck, but even people that are earning in excess of $100,000, that number is starting to tick up. Those are some of my favorite articles to read. I get sucked into every single one where it's a couple makes $300,000 and living paycheck to paycheck and it shows their budget. It's really interesting to see how even higher income folks will spend all that they, they bring in. Now, certainly there's a lot that save a lot and that invest a lot. But when you look at those budgets that CNBC puts on from the people, it is pretty interesting to see where all that extra money goes. and. I'll tell you, <laughs> it, it does it does make you think a little bit sometimes. Yeah, there's a term for those individuals, and I have to Henry's. That out. Yes, okay. it is Henry's. Yes, Henry's high earner, not rich yet. They live paycheck to paycheck, not saving anything. Yeah, it's that lifestyle creep. As yep. you as you make more, most people are going <clears> to <throat> spend more or even more on top of that as as they feel more comfortable with what they're earning. I don't think that's happening right now, given the inflation situation we have like that's not the the broad thing that's going on but yes definitely uh something that we have to watch going forward is how does that revolving credit change and then the savings rate because if that continues uh you're you're likely to see the consumer spend which has been a strength pair off and then that leads to problems down the road um and so the fact that we have that going on and retail inventories at historically high levels it could lead to p- potential issues in that retail space going forward. And that's why we've seen discretionary sell off the way it has this year. Yeah, I think that's that's a good chance to switch over to opportunities. Like I mentioned, my favorite area, and there's a couple that are there. So first, I think financial planning and tax loss harvesting. These are the types of situations that we find from a market environment that really can stress somebody's financial plan um, that could really test what those limits are and, and kind of how you're viewing that and do any changes need to be made based on what the market's done so far this year. But a lot of people are probably in a better situation than they might have thought if they d- were planning throughout that whole process, if they were saving through that, that whole time and investing. They're probably in a better picture 
than they would imagine. So for people who are concerned about what the market is doing with their financial plan, it's a great time to come in and check out to see how they are positioned where they stand from that plan and are they, is their plan still successful or do they need to make any changes? And that's an area that we can help. Another one I, I think is tax loss harvesting, uh, which has been talked about a lot in the past, but it's something that we've been actively doing throughout the year and using opportunities of pullbacks in the market to do so. And just kind of a, what tax loss harvesting is, is that uh, when, you take, when you sell something and take a loss on it, um, you're able to write that off on your taxes against other gains. And then you can actually even lock up additional losses over time as well, too, which some of them can go towards income during the year. There are, are maximums to that, but it could also offset future gains that you take within portfolios, too. The key to that is that when you sell something, you want to buy something with those proceeds. You don't want to be out of the market during that because if the market does rebound nicely, which it really has over the last few weeks, uh, you don't want to miss out on that. So you could buy something, but it can't be the exact same thing that you sold. There's got to be differences in there. And that's something we've been doing from an investment team globally for clients. And that's a great way to do lock in those losses from a tax standpoint, but not from a performance standpoint because you're buying something else with that money instead. Yeah, it's creating tax alpha is what it's called. Mm -hmm. It's you take that loss, you flip it, and then you invest it and you create a alpha in essence on your whole portfolio from an after tax gain standpoint. And it's something that I don't think gets enough attention. It adds value down the road and it allows the portfolio to be much more flexible going forward mm -hmm. too because you don't have these large gains on certain positions that restrict the portfolio from a tax standpoint and allows us on the investment team to act more freely yeah. um, from investment to investment, which is really, really helpful. I think the other one, and Matt, this was your note, is the 60-40 portfolio. There's been so much discussion about how it's dead or like, is the 60-40 portfolio dead? I don't think it is. I think it's actually a great spot to put your portfolio if you're getting into retirement because where we've seen yields this year and I mean if you want to go off on that I, I think that's a, a cool opportunity going forward. Yeah so when Blaine brings up the 60-40 portfolio that's generally thought of 60% equities and 40% fixed income. Now that's kind of the industry standard from what is a diversified portfolio uh, but it could be any allocation depending on somebody's risk tolerance but the idea is that you have both stocks and bonds in a portfolio and when yields were significantly lower than they were right now, you had downside risk to, to some of that portfolio that, that you might not have known that was there. But now with higher yields, sell-offs in both equities and, and fixed income, that you have some downside protection now in both of those places. If you have new cash coming into one of those portfolios, you have the opportunity to buy lower on it, but also have some of that protection because you've already had a significant sell-off in both. But yeah, there's been countless articles written throughout the year that the 60-40 portfolio is dead. You can't be invested in that anymore. The forward-looking returns of that aren't good. I counter that actually they look fantastic right now from a, a forward-looking standpoint, especially on the fixed income side, which is really your expertise. Yeah, and I think what got a lot of people in trouble with the 60-40 the portfolio is there's a lot of duration in that 40% that was fixed income. And with rates as low as they were and the anticipation of inflation, duration was not where you wanted to be invested. It, and duration is how sensitive is your fixed income to interest rates. And I think a lot of people got hurt that way by having their investments in longer dated bonds, which now is actually looking attractive, but we had to go through that pain to get to that point. So going forward, like we've been saying, having duration in the portfolio or having longer dated bonds with higher yielding 
interest rates, its outlook is much better than it was going into this year. Yeah, actually, I was reading an article this morning about how much flow is we're going into fixed income. And we have to also remember that fixed income is not just the long government bonds. There's many other parts of that market. You know, high yield was one where they were highlighting how much money's been flowing into that area, which is unusual for this part of the market cycle. However, we are still in a, a relatively healthy economic time period. So low default rates, credit spreads have not risen dramatically, that that's still an attractive area. So when we think of that 40, it's also important to diversify within that 40 and find areas that you can outperform within that. Yeah, 100%. Threats, the Fed's still hawkish. Everyone got excited with that CPI print. I know we've talked about it, but it's still there. You don't fight the Fed. They've come out. They've been chatting about it. I mean, Bullard last week said it's got to go you know, higher and higher, um, and it's going to be higher for longer. I think the market's still trying to figure that out and price that in, and uh, that could be a bumpy ride. Yeah, it was really interesting to see the press conference after the last Fed meeting when Powell was very, very specific on saying we are not pausing. The market had roared going into that office soft language in their notes. He came out and said that, and the market immediately sold off right away. So we have to be observant of what, not only do they write, but what are they saying and how are they messaging that, because they're trying to give the market clues on what's going to happen based on what they see now. Now, granted, they're not always right about what that forward-looking their estimates are. Going into the year, they were much more dovish than they became throughout the year. And it's one of the main reasons why the market has reacted the way that it has. But we also still need to be observant of that and know what they're saying, know who's out there talking, and how we need to be able to position portfolios with that in mind. And I think that's what creates a lot of volatility is, you know, the Fed's trying to keep credibility. There's participants in the market that are not thinking they're credible, given what they what happened. They came in very dovish. There was clearly inflation issues that we've seen, and now they're trying to rectify that by hiking rates and doing quantitative tightening, and it's a matter of, okay, are they doing the right thing, and how long do they do that for to make sure that they get inflation out of the system? The other threat that we've kind of been going over the consumer, a threat there is the fact that the consumer's getting a bit stretched, savings rate is down, and revolving credit for the consumers expanding, this holiday season might be the last big push. I can afford these gifts, you know, for this holiday season. And then we get into January and it's like, oh, I got to tighten the belt. You know, the consumer might reassess and then spending actually falls from there. Yeah, I certainly think that with how people have been spending throughout this year, that this Christmas season or this holiday season is going to be a time where people really are, you know, still doing it. But you're right. Once January hits, that's when people start to realize, hey, I now have to pay these bills. This was a lot more expensive than I remembered it being at the time. Inflation really has hit me on these gift purchases that I did or trips or, or whatever it happens to be for, for that specific person. But that's when they start to cut back and realize, hey, I need to slow this down. And the, the estimate I've seen is 1400 per household is about what it's going to be unless you're the Morsey household. And then it's more. But but yeah, I mean, that, <laughs> unfortunately, still, yeah, that's still a significant amount of money. Oh, it is. And I think we look at this and expectations for retail has come down. We've seen that with some of the companies describing what they are expecting for the holiday season. But it's still a big spend for these next two months going into the end of the year. And I just personally think that there is this last push that the consumer is going to do and then it's going to be, okay, let's reassess for next year. And that's when things start to pull Mm -hmm. back. We always wrap things up with a quick trip around the studio and check the headlines, our headline strength. We got market resiliency in the face of the volatility and what's been going on in the crypto markets. Headline weakness. 
consumer spending is good, but savings rate and so forth is starting to show some signs of weakness there. How about the headline opportunity? Financial planning, I'm mixing with tax alpha. And our headline threat? The Fed's still hawkish on they're trying to make sure that they get inflation out of the system, which is bumpy road. Episode 26, Sanex Wealth Management SWAT podcast, Strengths, Weaknesses, Opportunities, and Threats. Blaine Disrude, trader, research analyst, thank you. Thanks. And Matt Moore is the investment team manager. Thank you. Thank you, Danny. Annex Wealth Management, LLC, is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. The opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect on those of Annex Wealth Management, LLC. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice, or a recommendation or a solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risk. Neither Annex Wealth Management, LLC, nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.